Good evening. Okay, we are in John's Gospel, chapter 18. And we're going to talk about a couple of things in this. We're not going to finish the whole chapter. We're not going to go into um, Jesus' appearance before Pilate. So we're going to just read up to verse 27. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read those verses, 1 through 27. And as I'm reading those verses, I hope you can think of some things, jot some things down that stand out to you, any questions you have in those verses that you would want to ask or any things that you would like to talk further about. You don't even have to have a question. If it's something that, well, I really like this passage, I'd like to talk about it a little bit more or to get a little input on those things so that we can touch on the things that strike you and minister to you guys as we go through that. So let's read, starting in verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happens so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and Another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. 
Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Familiar passages as we see the arrest of Jesus, the denial of Peter, and Jesus now being taken into captivity to go to the cross. So as we're going through these uh, verses, were there any things that stood out to you that you would like to touch on? And then we'll go from there. Pat. Well, why do you think? Why do you think they fell to the ground? Do you <laughs> a couple of things stand out in that. One of them is that it says that Jesus actually went out to them. In other words, in verse 3, So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers from the chief priests, and they were carrying torches. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them. And so here they come with a detachment of soldiers. Now, the officials would be the basically the kind of the Jewish police. It would be those who were there for the temple to protect the temple and kind of keep a civil order. But a detachment, this was the Roman cohort, and it could have been anywhere from 200 to 1,000 men. They guess most people think it was around 600 soldiers. Okay, that's a lot of people coming out to get Jesus. And so whatever they were expecting, it was kind of like, okay, they're anticipating something. You know, if you've got a strong detachment of people going and you, you know, say a police are going to go raid a a building. Well, if there's going to be a couple of kids, you know, who are, you know, doing graffiti at the side of a building, well, they might not have a SWAT team. Okay, but if it's a drug house and they think there's automatic weapons in there and it's fortified, well, then you can bet they're going to be ready. So having hundreds of soldiers, they were anticipating something. And Jesus wasn't hiding. He actually knew it was coming, and so he went out to see them. And when they said, he says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus Nazareth. When he said, I am he... It might have startled them. Like, what are you here? By You know, you came out to see me, and they fell back. Or some people believe it was just the authority of who he was. When he says, I am he, it was as if God was speaking, and it just knocked them down. We don't know exactly, but they were struck by him and his presence coming out there to greet them. One of the things that is evident here is that Jesus is confronting or heading, meeting this head on, this confrontation. He's not shirking it. He's not delaying it. He actually went out and met it. And so this time 
that he knew was going to come, he went to it willingly and he went to it intentionally. And so here comes someone who you're going out to arrest and they come out with confidence saying, I'm, I'm the person. Everything about Jesus struck them. He taught as no one taught, as a person having authority. Now, even in his arrest, he comes out with authority. And that's got to be a surprising thing. To think, here's the person we're coming out with hundreds of soldiers to arrest, and he approaches us with authority, as if he's in control. Because that's how he was seeing this. This is God's plan. It's going to happen, and he's moving right into it. And it could have been just his confidence in this situation was a little bit overwhelming. But it was something that was definitely powerful. Yes, Eileen. Yeah, it's almost like they didn't believe him. It's almost like, no, that can't, you can't be him. Where, where is Jesus now? No, I told you, I am. And so there's definitely something that's going on where they're surprised by this, and so they do ask again. Well, they didn't believe he was God. So any other questions as we kind of, I want to make sure we touch on those things before I just go through them. Our thoughts. Yes. Part of that starts in verse 19. See, a high priest was not supposed to question anybody. He actually violated, Annas violated the principles of the Jewish justice system when he asked Jesus a question because a person was not supposed to be asked a question regarding their own um, innocence. They were supposed to ask other people. By asking him directly, it was in direct violation against their principles and their laws. And so when he started asking Jesus about these things, it was against how it should be done. And so when Jesus responds to them, because he asks Jesus about his disciples and teachings, he says, wait a second, I've, I've spoken plainly. Why don't you ask one of them? Because that's what you're supposed to do. See, that was their way of dealing with the law. Why don't you ask one of them? Because that's what you're supposed to do. And I taught openly. I taught in the synagogues. There are plenty of people who can testify of what I have said. Why question me? And then they got upset. They slapped him because he challenged them. Why are you asking me? And so they slap him and say, you know, how dare you, you know, answer the high priest in this way? You know, and then Jesus' retort to that, if I said something wrong, in other words, if I was in violation, tell me what I was in violation of, but really, I'm not in violation. I'm going into accordance to your law, and you are in violation. If I said something wrong, tell me what is wrong, but if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And so that's what the exchange is taking place here. And so it's kind of important to understand their, what they're doing wrong so that you could see why Jesus confronted them that way. Because his testimony wasn't just by himself. His testimony was from others and from the Father, as he said. And so he's basically saying, I'm only telling you what your law says, so why are you striking me? And you see that this whole... Trial is really kind of a ruse. 
it's set up. And that's one of the things that is important to talk about. And so in verse 13, they brought him first to Annas. And Annas, this only appears in John's gospel. He was powerful, and he was kind of the power behind Jerusalem. He, he was the one who was kind of overseeing a lot that was going on, who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And it says that year, which is telling. Because originally, a high priest like Aaron had that job for life. But now that they were under the Roman rule, a high priest's position was determined by the Roman governor. And so now there was a dynamic that took place between the high priest and the Roman government. And so whoever was going to take that position had to be, in a sense, someone who was willing to deal with Rome, someone who was kind of a co-collaborator with Rome, because Rome had to have the say, but they needed that position of power to help control the people. And so what we have taking place here is the high priest's position is now really controlled by Rome, but it's still in the presence of the people being controlled by God. And it was a powerful position. It was a political position. Romans needed this to keep peace and security or a sense of security among the people. And the family of Annas was very rich. And they basically had bribed their way into office. And Annas remained kind of the power behind it all. And so you've got his family. You know, Caiaphas is the high priest, and now Annas is this priest, and he's got this power. And so you see it's a very family-run business, so to speak. They're, They're controlling this aspect of it. And the way the high priests would get their money would be from the temple court of the Gentiles. So now think, what happened in the outer court where the money was collected and they made? Jesus overthrew the tables, remember? He tossed the tables over and said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves because they were using that as a means to make a lot of money. And so Jesus was constantly challenging this authority because he knew that it wasn't really an authority given by God, but it was one that was set up by men. And they weren't acting in the heart of God, but they were acting in the greed of men. And so Jesus' attack against the spiritual aspect is directly an attack against their financial aspect. And what happens when you attack people's finances and they have the power to stop you, right? Governments, I mean, you can think of so many areas where we've seen power. If power is, you know, contested, the government in power, they will try and squash that from happening. And that's exactly what we see happening here. And so this isn't about, well, let's do what's right. We just need to, we think this guy is a false prophet. No, this guy is costing us money. This guy is endangering our position with Rome. This is a very political and economical situation that's taking place here. But at the same time, it's a very spiritual one. 
and it's happening all at the same moment, which I think is very interesting because we can see the world around us and we can look at things and say, oh, wow, this is just an economic situation. This is a political situation and we have the eyes to kind of see what's going on. But while this was going on, something big was happening. I think of the church in China when the bamboo curtain went up and they kicked out all the missionaries and all the Western influence, the teachers, all the people who had that kind of Western influence in their society, they got rid of them all. It was a very political situation. They wanted to get rid of that so that communism could take root into the people. And when that happened and the curtain finally lifted, they found six million Christians there. How did that happen? This was just a political thing. Well, in this arena, God is still working. God is still moving. God doesn't stop. Politics doesn't change the will of God. It doesn't stop the wheels of God from turning and from God moving. And so many times we we can get so focused on one aspect that we don't see the other one that's taking place. And, And so... Very political, economical situation for Annas, Caiaphas, the whole priest control there. This was something that, why they would say, he's ruining everything. The people are going after him. Why was that a big deal? Because if they go after him, if it causes problems with us and Rome, we're going to lose our seat. They're going to replace us with someone who will take order because we're losing control. That's why it was such a big deal. And so now it's coming to this place where they see it and it's taking place and they're trying to stop it. Any other questions and thoughts? So you guys are hitting all the ones I was kind of preparing for. No, it it said this situation that Caiaphas unknowingly, it seems, prophesied, saying that it would be good for this one man to die for all the people. He was just saying it in their frame of mind that it would be good, but it had a a prophetic sentence with it, you know. Yeah, but that's when he said it, it was kind of a prophetic thing that this one man would die for the people. I mean, that's kind of the idea that John is portraying here. Eileen? Yeah, and they were trying to get this done before the Passover because it couldn't be done at the time of the Passover. And so the whole point of this was to hurry, rush through, get it done, and that way maybe it'll, it'll just disappear. Remember, this is the busiest time for the nation of Israel. They have millions of people coming into Jerusalem to worship. The amount of uh, commotion that is taking place at this time is more than you know ever before or at any other time of the year. And so this is kind of their season of just a lot of things happening. Even in the amount of sheep that were offered for the Passover, it was incredible. They actually said in one of the commentaries I was reading that the Kidron Valley, where they were at, where this garden is, that you could actually, from Jerusalem, the blood that was spilt for all these sacrifices could be seen in the water there in the Kidron Valley. It was just so much, which is interesting that Jesus is actually there ahead of that time. And so this is a very busy time, and it seems like in this hustle and bustle, they're trying to get it done quickly, quietly, and get it done over with. Yeah, they didn't want him making any more 
you know, noise. They didn't want – they wanted to squash this and they just tried to do it, again, illegally, quickly. Boy, are they going to be surprised. And so um, let's talk about Peter and his denial. It starts off in verse 15. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple. We don't know who the other disciple is. A lot of people readily think it's John as he's writing, but if that's the case, how does John know the high priests? Some people have even said that John was of the priestly tribe, but we wonder then how was he a fisherman? That doesn't make sense. So we don't really know. Others think it might have been Nicodemus or Joseph or Arimatheus. Um, Some people even speculated that Judas was there, and he's been going in and out, so maybe he was able to get them, but that doesn't seem likely because it doesn't seem like he would be with them at this point. Um, But someone was there and allowed Peter to get in. Now, does that strike someone as interesting? What, What did Peter just do? He took, no, he took the sword out, right? He tried to cut the guy's head off, but missed, got his ear. It's hard to cut a head off, I think. You know, unless you watch TV shows, then that happens easy. But they cut his ear off. And so think about this, because I know that I've had a a tendency to think of Peter in a certain light. But Peter was the only one who stood up to stop it. And Jesus had to rebuke him and say, put your sword away. We know in the other gospel that he healed Malchus's ear. But so Peter steps up to stop it. He's put back down by Jesus. Stop it. And then everyone runs away. But where's Peter? He's following Jesus. He's going to the courtyard. He wants to get inside because he's still following after Jesus. Where are the other disciples? They all ran away. So Peter's a pretty bold guy right now. He's not some trying to hide cowards. He's, he's actually interested in what's going on. And so when someone says, you know, hey, you're gonna, hey aren't you one of him? And he says, no, I, I didn't know him. He replied, I'm not, I'm not one of his disciples. Is it because he's ashamed of Jesus? It's probably because he doesn't want to get killed and he's like a spy in the middle of all these people. Okay, so it's not just like, oh, no, they're going to find me out. I'm denying this. I have a feeling that the idea is like, no, I'm not with them. I'm just trying to stay close to Jesus to find out what's going on. I'm trying to put myself in Peter's situation. If I had enough guts to get a sword and go after this guy when there's 200 or plus Roman soldiers there, now, he could have been thinking, I'm with Jesus. Jesus is just going to knock them all down like bowling pins. I don't know. You know, but he's just like, he comes after him. But he had enough guts to jump in to do that. And he has enough guts to follow where Jesus is going and try and be with him. And then he's with this crowd and they say, hey, aren't you one? No, I'm not with him. I don't think that he's ashamed of Jesus here. I think he's just trying to stay close. And when someone says that, it's like, well, no, if I, if I say this, I'm giving in and they'll find me out and then I'll be taken in or whatever will happen. But I don't think it's shame that's taking place. Does that make sense? 
And then the, it goes on in the night. And again, it was cold. In verse 18, the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter's also standing there warming himself. And then in verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I'm not. Again, now the pressure's growing. Okay, uh-oh, this is twice they've asked me. And he's probably trying to lay low, but he's freezing, so he's by the fire. And then one of the priest's servants, a relative of the man who had cut his ear, you know, <laughs> there's always someone <laughs> who's watching. That's the guy who cut off uncle's ear, right? I mean, it's just, that's the way it goes. And again, they ask him, and again, he denies it. And then at that moment, the rooster began to crow. The other Gospels tells us that he remembered and he wept bitterly. And so I am trying to think, okay, what is it that he wept about? Because I don't think he's ashamed of Jesus. I just think that he's unable to do anything. And now he's actually afraid for his life. And so where... Not too long ago, he was taking a sword, going after these people. Now he's just trying to do self-preservation. And he's probably seen how he's changed in this short period of time where he's gone from one place to the other. And he's probably overwhelmed with his inability to help and to do anything. And then he's remembering the words that Jesus says, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so it's kind of a chilling state of events that take place. And it kind of captures him off guard, I think, as he's just, no, I'm just here trying to find out what's going on. No, I don't know him. And he's just like, no, I don't know him. And then finally, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows and he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm right where Jesus said. I said I would never deny him. And I've just denied him three times. Oh, my gosh. And so it's a real strange situation that takes place and one that's difficult to fully understand how Peter would experience that. Now, did Peter, I mean, this is before, after this, we know that Peter's going to be restored by Jesus. Peter's going to be anointed by the Spirit. He's going to be preaching. And so is this the last moment that Peter ever struggled or stumbled or you know, was wrong in his faith. Did Peter ever make any other mistakes? Yes, right? He did. In Galatians 2, Paul says that he rebuked Peter to his face because he was afraid of the circumcision, the Jewish people. And so he dis just kind of disengaged himself with the Gentiles because he was worried about what the Jewish people were going to think of him. So even later, even after he was filled with the Spirit and anointed, he still was swayed by people. And I mention that because, you know, we think of Peter and, oh, Peter blew it, but then, you know, he came back to uh, his senses. He was filled with spirit. And then Peter was mighty and used by God, which he was. And then Peter, you know, was martyred, which he was. And so Peter's life after this, you know, filling with the spirit never had any issues, but he did just like we do. 
And there are going to be times in our lives where we, we struggle, where we deny who we are as followers of Christ. And we might not say it verbally, we might do it in our actions, we might do it in our thoughts, where I'm supposed to be a person who loves and not a person who hates, but man, I'm showing a lot of hatred or feeling a lot of hatred towards these people right now. Or I'm supposed to be a person who trusts in God, but I don't trust in God right now, and I'm kind of trusting in other things. Maybe it's in, you know alcohol or whatever. And so there are so many times where our faith can falter. And then we think, okay, but I'm going to get restored. And then I should never fall again. And then like Peter, you do. And I just want you to know that Peter did. But what happens from this Peter to the Peter in Acts chapter 2 is a sense of purpose and an intention of life. It's a sense of direction. It's a, a sense of what my life is about and what it's for. You see, at this point, Peter's life is for following Jesus. I'll cut off the guy's head. I'll, I'll go follow him into the court. My life is all about Jesus and following him physically. But now that Jesus is going to be crucified, that's got to change. And his life has to be about the purpose of God for Peter and for the church. The reason Jesus is dying is so that Peter continued the work that Jesus was doing. And so Peter had to shift his focus from, I'm just here, one of Jesus' disciples physically, to being, I am now Peter, who now carries the gospel, and I have an intention to do a work that is even more than it was. And I know it seems strange to say, well, his job was to follow Jesus, but his job got bigger when Jesus was crucified, because now his job is to lead people to Jesus. And now that intention for his life, even though Peter is still a man and still stumbles and still falls, his life doesn't stop moving in the right direction. You know, it's not how many times we fall if we get up one more time than we fall. And that's kind of what needs to happen with us. You know, we stumble, we struggle. Well, are you going to let that define you or are you still living for the purpose and the cause of Christ? Has God still taken your life and giving your life purpose and you have the intention to follow God's purpose for your life? And then when you do struggle with unbelief, you struggle with sin, you struggle with different areas of weakness, do you quit Or will you continue living for the purpose that you've been created for? Because God used Peter after he denied the Lord. God used Peter after he denied the Gentiles. And God will use us the same way. God doesn't stop loving us just because we aren't strong or don't have any problems or failures. That makes sense. One more point that I I think is good to maybe end on. It's a short night tonight. And that is Jesus stepped up, said, 
I'm the one you're looking for. Let these men go. And he said, this is written, verse 9, happened so the words that he had spoken might be fulfilled, that he didn't lose any of them. Now, when, where did those words come from? Where is it that those words are fulfilled? Whose words are they? Verse 17, 12. They're Jesus' own words just recently, right? Jesus said, I'm not going to lose any that the Father has given me. And so... I think it's important to recognize, first of all, that Jesus cares about them, that he, he steps into the place to protect them. And when it says that it might be, that it might fulfill what he had said, because most of the times when we hear that, we think of the scriptures that are being fulfilled, but here it's being used in Jesus' own words just recently. And so really what John is doing is giving credibility to Jesus's words, the same as he did to scripture in the past. And so Jesus's concern was for those who he loved. He went out of his way to confront those who were coming after him to get in between them and his disciples. And when they came after him, he says, I'm the one, let these go. Even when Peter cut the guy's ear off, we know in the other gospel that Jesus had to heal him, kind of like, it's okay, no harm, no foul here. Everyone, let's go, okay? You know, because how do you, you know, hey, this guy killed, you know, he tried to kill him, he tried to cut his ear off. Well, let's see, where's the wound? Well, there is none. His ears, uh, it's back on. Okay, there's no evidence that Peter did any of this. Jesus healed the guy. And so Jesus is stepping in between the problem and his disciples because he's wanting to spare them. And Jesus has done that for us as well. Jesus has stepped in between the judgment that was supposed to fall on us and us and says, no, I've got it. Let these go. I'll take the blame. Let the judgment that's supposed to fall on them fall on me. And we see the heart of Jesus. And in seeing the heart of Jesus, we are seeing the heart of God. That he doesn't want to see the problem hit them. He takes it himself. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. You know, it's an endearing thing. It's having a presence of mind at this point and in this difficulty to step in to this role and take the initiative to say, no, you're here for me, let them go. You want me. You don't want anything to do with them, so just let them go. And they were happy to do so. Okay, yeah, we came for him, and so they take him in. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of God and his dealing with us as well. Any other thoughts or questions or Comments on these verses? I guess we could have tackled Pilate, but I didn't think we would have enough time. No? Yep, okay, I think. That might be why some, they think it's John, possibly. But then Peter might have shared also what had happened with uh, John later on. Um, No, Peter went in with them.
Peter went in. I mean, someone went in and talked to someone and said, hey, can you let talk to the girl? And she said, okay, let him in too. And then Peter was in, and he was there in the courtyard too. Okay, and we know in one of the Gospels it said that after the rooster crowed that Jesus looked and saw Peter. And so we know that Peter was there in that courtyard with Jesus when this whole thing took place. And so... Peter was there, and he might have told whoever else. It could have been John. It could have been someone else. We don't know. Again, that's kind of besides the point thing. The whole, I know, it seems John has a way of not naming himself, you know, throughout the gospel, but still painting himself in a good light, like the disciple whom Jesus loved, you know, that kind of a thing. And so here's another place where people think, well, it could have been, but he didn't say it in the disciple whom Jesus loved knew someone in there, so we don't really know. You know, there, there is a certain part, because the high, whole idea of denying is personal. You're going to deny me. I'll never deny you, you know. And so there's some personal aspect, but I think, you know, the reality of the situation and the power of the situation and his helplessness and, yeah, Jesus' words like, this is going to happen. But then it's interesting, too, when Jesus restores Peter because you can tell that at that point there is guilt. You know, there's just this sense of, yeah, something's wrong. You know, I, I, I denied the Lord. But really, what was he going to do? No, nothing he could have done could have stopped it. You know, and he was at that point probably just trying to keep from getting thrown in the mix as well. But it's pretty bold for him to be there in the first place. And I just think we need to take that into consideration before we just start throwing stones at Peter, you know. That Peter, he denied the Lord. Well, he probably went further than most of us would go. Any other thoughts? No? Well, there's cake and pie, so let's pray and we can eat cake and pie. Father, as we come down to this portion of Scripture, and even as next week is Good Friday, Lord, and we are here looking into the cross and the things that are there, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of your goodness towards us, your love, your mercy. Lord, the things that you have done on our behalf, uh, may we never lose sight of those things, what amazing love you've given to us. Bless everyone here, Lord. Help them as they uh, go home and continue their week. Lord, be with our friends, our family, and even as was prayed earlier, the needs that are there in our midst, Father. Uh, We are people in need constantly, God. And so may you have your hand upon us. May you touch and strengthen us and work in us, Lord, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our frailties, God, be glorified in our lives, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.